0: My name's Tom Walker. Welcome to That'll Be The Day. In this podcast, I'm going to be talking to a visually impaired man from Portsmouth who's turned Braille into his very own art form. But before we hear from Clark Reynolds, if you like the music at the start of this podcast, it's a track called That'll Be The Day by the Liverpool band The Vow. And as always, I'll be featuring a track by the band at the end of this podcast. It might just be The Vow's new single. Stay tuned to find out which one I've chosen. Now, Clark Reynolds hasn't allowed losing his sight to dim his artistic ambitions. In fact, he hasn't allowed his visual impairment to dim anything at all by the sound of things. With his exhibition of braille artwork at the Aspects Gallery in Portsmouth and a promotional trip to the United States coming up, it was hardly surprising that when I spoke to him, Clark was on a bit of a high.
1: Really well. I've just had the most amazing week of my life.
0: Tell me what's happened.
1: Well, I had an exhibition at a contemporary gallery, my first ever, because I'm known as the blind, braille artist, and this exhibition was not only my first at a contemporary gallery, but the gallery in question, as a six-year-old child, made me want to be, to do art. And now, 35 years later, I'm exhibiting that said gallery.
0: Tell me about your art. So you, as you say, you're the blind braille artist, and I guess the clue's in the name, but there's got to be more to it than that.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. So um, I was blind in one eye from the age of six, um, and I always explain to people how I look. It was like looking for a thousand dots. So as I've gone on to do, oh, I want to be an artist, unfortunately, I got bad uh, kidneys in my teens, so I, I didn't finish school. But I'm a fighter. I got back into higher education. I became a dental model maker. And then 10 years ago, I started losing my sight in the other eye. But one thing has always remained constant in my life, no matter the ups and downs, it has been art. And like I said, I've always used dots. So I'm a big fan of pointillism. Which is, the pointillism is the art technique where you build up pictures using dots. And it's strange, my brain kind of sees those images. And three years ago, my friend gave me the Perkins Braille typewriter. Uh, So I I was playing around with it and I thought, oh, this is really interesting. I love being a creative all my life. I love the way the patterns it created. Uh, I said to myself, could this be an art form? So over the last two years, I've been exploring Braille as an art form. But the idea is I make that dot dot bigger and give it colour and give it meaning. So for me, Braille, that small dot in a way is how we're seen as, as visually impaired people. We're seen so small and insignificant. But the idea of blowing that dot up and giving it purpose gives me a purpose to talk about sight loss. So my art transcends not the visual, but more than just what you see on, on the piece of paper, because my artwork can be all touched.
0: Do you read Braille yourself then, uh, Clark? Or, I or... learned
1: Braille in three weeks, uh, really, just by pattern association. And I can read Braille, but like you said, I've learned Braille, but I can't physically use Braille, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So my aim is to get Braille where Braille should be, i.e. toilets, restaurants. You know, I want my independence. I want to go into a restaurant and say, oh, by the way, can I have a Braille menu, please? You know, I don't want to read a Braille book as in, you know, Harry Potter, because it'd be like War and Peace. You know, we've got audio for that. But I reckon Braille should be used in a smart way, like architectural way. And that's my aim with my art. And my passion to get Braille taught in schools uh, between six and eleven-year-olds because that's the the idea of Braille being taught is they they're taught about sight loss as well, so the stigma attached to sight loss gets uh, redacted out because we're ta- with we, you know they're doing Braille, which which is amazing.
0: When you were fully sighted, were you aware of Braille, or th- is it something you only really became aware of once you lost your sight?
1: Well, I've always known about Braille in my you know, I, I suppose. Growing up, you always you touch a bit of braille, especially on the buses, that, that S is on the bus and on the medication. And it was weird because obviously I explained how I used dots in my artwork and it was just a, a natural transgression from going from pointillism to braille and the, the idea that it can carry a message. So for me, I, it's really weird. I was meant to go blind to learn braille. To bring braille into the 21st century.
0: Do you feel like it was almost like your destiny, really?
1: It was. It is. I mean, it's really weird. I'm not, I don't feel depressed when I, because uh, obviously every day is a new day for someone who's got like, like a retinus pigmentosa kind of eyesight problem, the idea of light and dark. So every day is a new day. And I really enjoy the experiencing of losing the sight and yet learning how to adapt my art practice to that. So obviously I use colour a lot, but I, I don't see colour how I used to. I have a memory of colour. So that's what is really interesting to to explore the art in in memory form. So for me, this exhibition that I've just done, I wanted the art to guide you because I don't like a gallery with white walls and grey floor, that kind of white box gallery, because the light just bounces around too much. So my exhibition is in the dark, but what I've used is UV light and UV paint. So the artwork, you're guided by the artwork. And that's my journey. And that's what makes... I use the English language and then take the brow dot to host that English language. It becomes a vessel. So I'm just a modern-day typographer.
0: You've talked a little bit there about your uh, exhibition, but could you kind of describe it to us? What would people see or feel um, if they actually visited the gallery?
1: So it was all about my journey, because the exhibition is called Journey by Dots, and it was all about how I grew up from a six-year-old child, wanted to be an artist up to this point now, and my journey... So, what I've done is I've broke it down to three sections. So, one section I was a child. And if we had a sat nav back 40 years ago, kind of thing, it'd be like in 300 years, turn left and uh, you've arrived at your destination. So, I just copied all that out, going around my old schools and where I used to live as a child. And that's the braille you can see, which is neon colors. But hidden in those journeys is redacted braille. So, the, you know, the idea that if you really want to know about my life, you have to touch my life to figure it out because it's all on black, so you can't physically see it. And it's the, the stuff I was telling you. So the idea is losing sight at the age of six, uh, kidney problems. And then the second journey is all about me going off university, and that's the train journeys from Rochester back to Portsmouth. And then the third journey is all about me reconnecting with art, moving back to Portsmouth, and that's the bus journeys because, as you know, when you're vision impaired, you, you have to give up your uh, driving license and you use buses a lot more. And then that's around the walls. But in the center of it, I've made braille tactile pavement slabs, uh, being a model maker. And they're my future aspiration dream. So the idea is to coexist in mainstream art and to uh, have an exhibition at Tate Modern. And then obviously, the best one is to appear on Strictly Come Dancing. Uh, but the beauty of those pieces is they're, co- they're pavement slabs, so you can physically sit on them and stand on them. And the idea is, even though you're standing on my dream, I'm going to still achieve those dreams, because what are the barriers that have been put in my place at the beginning of my life? I've still achieved exhibiting at a contemporary gallery. So, yeah, that's the fun part of that exhibition.
0: And am I right in saying you're off to the United States very soon?
1: Literally, a week today. So I fly out on the 18th of April, Bank Holiday Monday, uh, to Tallahassee in Florida, to create some art, there's a big um, gala in my honour, and to speak to schools, and the idea is the whole thing's going to be turned into a documentary about my life uh, and my art practice over there, so the, the, the guy who's running it is B. Fox, and he's a blind film documentary, and I've known him for a couple of years, and we were to go out last year but because of COVID, so Um, I'm flying out for three three weeks and then I'm finishing off in Miami to create a big mural on Miami Beach. And then I come back and then I fly out again in October to do the New York side of things. So that's an amazing
0: opportunity. What's your ultimate ambition then, Clark? What You know, what in in an ideal world would you like to be doing in a couple of years' time?
1: I would like to coexist in mainstream art. uh, And that's the biggest goal for me. Because unfortunately, in the 21st century, Artists with disabilities and with barriers are still seeing, oh, it's a hobby. You know, oh, isn't that nice? You, you, you know, when you, when you tell people what you do, and then people say, oh, is it nice that you've got art? You know, my art is as powerful as the likes of Tracey Emin and Damien Hirst. Why can't I uh, exhibit alongside them? But well, unfortunately, galleries have put these, these tick boxes in front of us, and you have to tick box, are you a disabled artist? And you have to tick box, yes. And, you know, and unfortunately, that's the way society has put us in. So for me, the, the idea is to be as big as famous as Damien Hurst. So the so people growing up, especially young children with vision impairment, they can see me on TV and um, on news and say, "Hang on a minute, he's vision impaired, he's blind, and he's a professional artist. Why can't I do that?" And it's same for parents. So when you have a parent with a vision impaired child, and the idea is, "Oh my God, my child is blind. What can they do?" And if they see people like myself doing things in a visual world, then they then they don't have to put their, their worries onto their child. So for me, that's what I like to see myself in the next five to 10 years.
0: You've alluded there to um, the attitude that you sometimes experience towards you as a disabled person. Do you think that mirrors how we as disabled people are treated in society?
1: Of course. I mean, COVID is a great example, isn't it? You know, especially with vision impaired people, we're told not to touch anything, uh, but that's how we navigate and uh, obviously the first time we come out of lockdown all those plastic barriers in the way I mean I can't believe how many times I bumped my head going to the supermarket uh where they just didn't think about vision impairment and they put up clear plastic screens and you just navigation it was a nightmare you know it was it was done I think we're still in the 21st century it's it's crazy that the the stigma attached to blind people especially with guide dogs the idea of oh, you can't come in in this shop because you've got a, a dog, or you can't come into this restaurant. And the, the rules, people don't know the rules still about regarding guide dogs. It's crazy.
0: What do we need to do about that?
1: A big, I mean, obviously we do campaigns on TV, but the idea is the likes of myself who, you know, are very bubbly, very upbeat about going blind, literally appearing on TV, appearing on chat shows, appearing on Graham Norton uh, and Strictly and... And, and push pushing back because the stigma people say to me oh how do you do what you do because you know they still believe that blindness is is complete darkness and you know yourself 93% of blind people still see you know every person it's like a link a fingerprint we all see differently so it's to break down those stigmas that attach to blindness I think that's the key and, you know and I you know I love to go up and down the country and and, and talk about sight loss in, in a in schools, but in a, in a fun way, in an artistic way, because that's who I am.
0: Have you been surprised by how you've been treated as a visually impaired person? Because obviously you experience the world as a sighted person, although you were blind in one eye. But now that you, you are, you know, l- l- losing your sight, what surprised you?
1: I just think people are ignorant, you know, in society. We still, I mean, I have a great friend called Steve Baker uh, I jokingly I call him my talking guide dog and he's great so he doesn't treat me like I'm blind he he knows when to help me when I'm truly in, 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 tr- in trouble he will lend out his hand but apart from that he 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 will lead me to it and you know that's to it been you know if society were all like Steve Baker's it would be amazing but we're not we're not like that and you know, I talk about Steve Baker because uh, we have a podcast together uh we uh, and it's called art in sight and we actually talk about art in a gallery in a way of order description again there's another way society has not gone with the times you know order description in a gallery is quite like watching paint dry really you know it's I, i'm a creative i want to feel the emotion that the artist has painted when i go to a gallery i don't want to hear someone all one tone just talk about in the left hand corner there's a flower painted yellow, in the right hand corner there's some grass you know for me that's quite patronizing
0: tell me what you think audio description should do you've kind of alluded to it there but you know if you were advising a museum or i, I don't know the producers of a television program um, what do you think audio description should do what should it sound like
1: it should convey the emotion the emotion of of the art that we see uh the tv that we see because obviously audio description on TV, again, it's getting quite dry. The idea is, oh, he's opened the door. I mean, as a blind person, I don't think we need to hear that because we hear the sound of the door.
0: It's funny because I mean, I've been to the theatre quite a few times over the years, and there has been audio description available. And I've actually just found myself turning it off, um, which kind yes. of bears out your point.
1: Oh God, yes. I mean, oh, that was the worst experience I had at a theatre. I went to see Wicked, obviously, it's a musical. But it was like the, you could see, here the guy, couldn't be bothered, and he was just flipping the page over. You could hear the flipping of the page over the script, and he's got a script in his hand. It was like, well, if he can't be bothered, why should I? So I just took, I just, like I said, took the, hat, the earpiece off.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done exactly the same. What have you learned about yourself, Clark, since, you know, you've lost most of your sight? well, You know, what? when you think about your life, you know, what insights have you gained? I've
1: become a greater artist because... I've kind of freed myself up because I'll say I've lived two lives. I've lived someone who could see as an artist, and someone who can't see, and it's made me freer. And it's made me think about: well, if I can't see the art, how do I interact with it? If I can't, you know, and the idea that they're talking about the art, you know, and I, it's really weird. I'm forty years old, but I feel like I'm, I'm a twenty. I'm back in school again, like a sixteen-year-old. I'm learning things over again. I've got that excitement, that buzz, and. And that's what gives me joy every day. You know, I've got a young daughter who's eight years old and she has uh, mild cerebral palsy. So I'm a role model for her. So she sees me as a blind dad. But the idea is I want to show her that no matter her disability, she can achieve her dreams. And it's really great now. So she's at, at that age where... She starting to order, describe for me without her realising it, and it's beautiful.
0: Setting your art aside, how has your life changed?
1: Oh, that's the real—that's the hardest question. Um, adapting, you know. Obviously, I had a career as a dental model maker, and I really enjoyed my job. Uh, it was just, and the idea of adapting and and having setting goals for myself—I mean, that's key. You know, I'm like forty; I'm just you know coming halfway, as they say, and I just—I've got so much more to give. And I want to give, you know, I want to be a role model for the children growing up of all disabilities. I want to shout out to the to the world that, hey, I'm blind, but I'm living my life, you know, and I'm enjoying my life. I've the last couple of years, I mean, we've had COVID as well. I've never been so proud of what I've been achieved with the restrictions put on me, and that I think that's down to my childhood, being having kidney problems and not and not finishing school, but yet wanted to, a desire to learn, I think that's really helped me.
0: You've talked there about um, how you've overcome those challenges. Where does that resilience come from? Because there's a lot of it.
1: I have no, I, I really truly believe it's just growing up in a council state, growing up with nothing. I had nothing. And art has always been a constant. So that art has truly saved my life, Tom. It really has. People say, oh, you're over-dramatising. But my brother passed away a couple of years ago. Um, we've got, you know, two years apart, we, we both had the same life, but he didn't have heart and I I did. And he ended up being addicted to drugs and being homeless and he died in a, in a street corner, you know, and I truly believe I could have gone down that path if I didn't discover art. So that is the power of art.
0: Well, that's a really sad story. I mean, that must have really rocked your life in a way that you could have, you know, impossible to describe, I imagine.
1: Yeah, but, but the beauty of it is my daughter shares the same birthday as my brother.
0: Which is a poignant reminder of him, I guess.
1: Of course. And I just found out when I was doing the Braille, of course he went to jail, and you probably know yourself, so a lot of prisoners in, in do uh, do the Braille, create the Braille. So he created Braille for, you know, a Bible somewhere or some manuscripts. So in a way, he would have loved what I would have been doing right now.
0: You think he would have reacted positively and understood it?
1: Oh yeah, it would have been. It would have loved the the nature of actually engaging with the art. You know, it, in a way, I've, I've kind of I didn't realise that he did that, and uh, now I'm kind of carrying on, but with braille, but in the artistic language. Yeah.
0: Talking of how people react to your um, to your work, is there a difference between how sighted people and blind people react to it?
1: It is because my artwork, when you look at it, it's, it looks like dots, and the idea that you know dots been around in an artistic language for years. Uh, centuries even, and it's a visual statement, but when, when, you, when people say, oh, by the way, you can touch it, and there's, there's braille behind it. and People want to learn braille. The idea is, I want to make braille universal. Uh, so all I do is the A to Z, there's no commas or full stops. So I don't want to confuse people. And the idea, if everyone learnt braille, then braille could be integrated to society and we wouldn't have to fuss about a braille menu or braille in the shop or braille in the toilet. It would just become standard. And it bridges the gap with the sighted community. And then the blind people love it because how often can you go into a gallery unless you do a touch tour, and you're told, touch away, touch away. And this is when you like, literally, you sit on Braille.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's so true. I went to the Guggenheim in Bilbao and just walked out after a couple of minutes because I couldn't see any of it. I couldn't touch any of it. And I just thought, well, what's the point of that?
1: I mean, I started the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I went to the Sculpture by the Lakes. Which is in Dorchester. The podcast will come out in the next couple of weeks. And it was the most amazing experience. I was order describing it to Steve because I could touch everything. There was no barriers. We're talking artworks that, if they were in a Mayfair gallery, would have three figures put on them. And I was literally hugging the art. And it was the most excited I've been in 10 years. It was a truly amazing place. So, if you do in that part of the world in Dorchester, Sculpture by the Lakes, is and it's an amazing place and, yeah, well worth the visit just to touch all the art.
0: One other thing I wanted to ask you about is you've talked about appearing on television. Did you do that as a blind person?
1: Uh, so I appeared on BBC a couple of times um, and, as a blind person. So BBC South Saturday twice, uh, one for the Newbury exhibition Decoding Brow, Decoding Me, and one for IC Squares 2020, which was in 2019. But I want to appear on TV for real, as in... I want to be that star on the Graham Norton sofa. I want to appear on uh, Strictly Come Dancing and um, Celebrity MasterChef. You know, why not?
0: I've been a blind extra, well, not a blind extra, just been an extra, actually, on Hollyoaks a few times. Um, And and they were a bit sort of nervous at first. But once I got there and they realised that I didn't have two heads and could actually walk and things like that, I think they were quite quite pleased they'd done it.
1: Yeah, again, you know, the understanding that you just said there is that you weren't a blind extra. Why are you in the background with your stick or your dog, you know, being proud, being, you know... Look at me, I'm a, I'm a blind person and I'm, I'm doing what I love. You know, I think there should be more of that on TV. Take away the RNIB and Guide Dogs for the Blind adverts. There's nothing out there. You know, the idea of seeing someone on a crazy show, it's like quizzes, you don't see many disabilities on quizzes and I, I love my quizzes. You know, I would love to appear on a quiz, why can't I?
0: You've mentioned something there that I'd be interested to know your views on. Um, you mentioned the, uh, the RNIB and Guide Dogs adverts that we sometimes see on the television. How do you feel about those?
1: Again, oh, it's really hard. I, I, I just think they're, again, not as exciting as they could be. If I was directing them, there would be a lot more fun, a lot more energy. You would see a blind person have say, you know, or you would see a blind person having fun in a pub. You know, having that in, the proper engagement instead of the, oh, I feel sorry for me, blind person adverts. There should be more jolly blind person people adverts. What do you think, Tom?
0: Well, I absolutely agree. I think the, the visual impairment sector, as I call it, can be very po-faced and extremely serious. And And you're absolutely right. I think the, the, I, I think there is a lack of fun. Um, and, and I think they, they tend to go for the pity approach. Uh, which I understand. that I can see why they do it, but I just, like you, I wish they wouldn't.
1: So, so obviously, you know, about ten years ago, we, you know, we talked about um, disability athletes as disability athletes, didn't we? And then now, you know, we don't see them as disabled athletes anymore. We see them as just athletes, even if they're blind, they've got one leg, learn disabilities. We don't see them as disabled. Now, hopefully, that will transcend in the creative industry, or you know, theatre. Uh, radio, arts, you know, the idea how, you know, we take that model of of disability athletes and we take that model and we put it into the creativity industry and you see more of us on TV having a laugh.
0: There's a lot of joy about you, Clark, isn't there? There's a lot of joy and positivity.
1: People say that, you know, and people don't understand, oh, you're going blind, why are you so upbeat? Well, I can't change the fact, you know, I, I am who I am. And uh, there's no point in feeling sorry for myself. I've just got to do the best that I can with the, the hand I've been dealt with. And like I said, I'm enjoying so much of my life at the moment.
0: I mean, I've been visually impaired all my life. Um, I was born totally blind and then got a small amount of sight after an operation at the age of three and a half. So for me, I can't really imagine what it would be like to lose my sight in adulthood, other than to think it would be really quite traumatic. Um, but for you... It seems to be something that you've just accommodated and, and learnt to live with.
1: I've got a family. I have to be strong for them. And I don't think I've ever... I've ever yeah, you know, The only thing I really get upset about is knowing that I am not see my daughter grow, see her face when she's a, a fully grown woman. You know what I mean? That, you know, she's eight years old. So that's the only thing that really touches my heart, the idea that I won't see her face when she's older.
0: What about things like mobility? Um, are you able to get out and about independently? or? Yeah,
1: you- I mean, I'm not scared to. So obviously, I know ports like the back of my hat so you can literally blindfold me. And when I go places, I have uh, the, uh, the, the stick in one hand and I have my Google, if I phone in the other. Google map saying, you know, and it's so funny, I look like a, I probably must look like a clown, but it doesn't bother me. And then if I do get lost, right, or if I do want to raise uh, questions, I'll, I'll ask. It's like, I'm off to America on my own next week? You know, I say I put the assistance and if I have trouble na- navigating the, you know, while I'm over there, I just ask, really.
0: Well, my mother used to say, "You've got a tongue in your head, use it."
1: That's it.
0: <laughs> well, look, it's been amazing to talk to you. You've, uh, I'll let the listeners into a, a, a little secret. It's a Monday morning. Um, most people probably on a Monday morning aren't feeling full of the joys of spring, but uh, half an hour spent with you, and uh, it feels like a Friday afternoon. Fantastic. Clark Reynolds, thanks very much indeed. Okay, time for music. And this time we're going from braille dots to coffee beans. It's Morning Coffee and You by the Liverpool band The Vow.
2: In whirlpools I'm a linger contemplating fate. I lick its fickle finger and I like the taste I pump up my money maker I tongue and groove all those mover shakers Yes, I'm a faker But one thing rings true Morning coffee and you And concrete coffin Eight hours in a day More meaningless than nothing And then home again So pump it up all your money makers Get tongue and groove in those movers, shakers Guess I'm A faker, but what can I do? Morning Morning coffee and you Morning coffee and you Morning coffee and you